Hello, this is um, Fan Electric Ghost. We have Jurassic Park on. Hey, how's it going? John Stokes here. Hi, John. Is this going to be you or are you going to have another person on? No, no. Uh, Chris is also joining. He's the bassist. Um, not sure where he is at because we were literally just talking to each other and we literally just sent each other the link. So let's okay. see how we go. Well, yeah, I'll just give a little update, wait, um, a little intro um, before he joins. This is Fan Electric Ghost, uh, where we interview indie artists from around the world. Been doing it since mm-hmm. 2018. So we have Jurassic Park on the line. Uh, you guys are from. What, Australia? Yeah, Victoria, Australia in Melbourne. Cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, while we wait for your uh, bandmate to join, uh, I'm an indie artist myself, and Anchor is actually part of Spotify. And um, we've been doing these interviews like for, since 2018. And, um, you know, we like to give indie artists a, a platform to talk about the music, which is really important in this day and age with uh, the coronavirus because like yeah. a lot of touring touring has like basically stopped for most of the bands I've talked to. They can't, they can't tour anymore. So they need to use uh, social media to talk to people. Yeah. Get them, get, yeah. Get their message out. <laughs> and that's, that's exactly what we're doing. Um, so just uh, Chris is just having a few troubles getting in. So he's going to try another way. He can't seem okay. to work it on his phone. So cool. I, I can, I can take it from here. Okay. Well, I'd like to go through the questions. We can ask him, you know, where we get along, we'll get there. But uh, when did yep. you guys first get into music? What age? Um, so, I mean, me, personally, I can't remember. Yeah. But, uh, as in, like, probably just, like, super early, as in, like, like, enjoying listening to music. But as for getting into music, it, it probably wasn't until I was about 15 where I started wanting to play guitar. Until then, I was just kind of into keyboard. But then I started listening to bands like Green Day and Blink White too, and I just got into guitar. And actually, uh, I wish it was on now because um, one of the inspirations was Chris, who's our, our bassist. But he yeah. was originally, well, he still is, but he's an acoustic guitarist. He's a great finger picking acoustic guitarist. And um, he was my, one of my inspirations originally to want to start guitar. And that's actually kind of how me and him started playing music originally. We started when I was 15, he was 18. And back then, we were into emo music <laughs> so that was early 2000s so that so yeah there's, there's, look, there's a lot, lot, lot that came into it but i think uh definitely what got me into music early on was kind of like a, a pop punk and punk sound really oh so like power pop like i was into like a punk aesthetic i don't know if you know bands like um who's or the replacements uh they're like an american band or like black flag uh, you know, bands like that, but they were like in American punk bands. But yeah, um, I've of them, I've only heard of Black Flag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who's good to have Bob Mould, Grant Hart? They were a Minneapolis um, punk band, and they did like a power pop type punk. It's very raw, but it had like melodies to it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is cool. Like, yeah. I'm I'm a fan of like all punk from raw to the poppier side of things. So. Yeah, and like Paul Westerberg and the replacements, they had this kind of power poppy punk. Kind of going back to like Alex Choton um, and Big Star. He, uh, I don't know if you heard of them, but they were kind of like a clone to the Beatles, but they had this kind of power pop sound. They was kind of like mm-hmm. Bad Finger, if you know, like the Beatles and Bad Finger and stuff like that. But um, um, yeah, I've always been into the punk aesthetic, you know, from the Clash to the Ramones, because even though I'm a synth player, I kind of mm-hmm. like that punk edge. It gives you like a Trent Reznor sound if you're a synth player. 
Yeah, yeah I know. Just, yeah. A, little, a little more aggressive rather than being like the cure or being emo. <laughs> you know, you end up doing something that has more, you know, power kind of gut to it. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. The um, punk aesthetic is, yeah, is cool for keyboards too. <laughs> yeah. I think Chris sure. just joined. I think he's yeah. on. Do you have, we have Chris on now? Yeah, I'm here, guys. I'm just uh, trying to make sure my audio doesn't echo too much with this because I haven't got headphones to suit my laptop. I had issues with the phone link, though. That was all. Okay, that's cool. Well, you're on now with John, so that's cool. So we have Drastic Park, we have John, and we have Chris. Um, and, uh, yeah. Yep. And Chris, cool. he, was just, so, uh, he was just asking about how we got into music, and I told the story of how we even started playing music. So, but... uh. Yeah, I don't know if you want to ask that question to Chris again. He might have a different answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I just asked uh, John about how he got into music. So, like, what age and, you know, that that's the first question I sent you guys. But what, what Yeah, well, that's cool. We were both teenagers and, yeah, pretty much he would have told you the same story as, as I would tell anyway. But it was just uh, inspiration from the same sort of music we both fell in love with, uh band called Blink-182 and uh, the rest is history. We sort of started making music together from there and then um, uh, we've been in about together over the years and still making music now. That's cool. And so, yeah, we've got some new questions about, like, what's going on with Corona, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> um, uh, one of the things we like to talk about is, like, okay, what you started, like, liking music at a young age. When did you start working on your own music? Because what we always ask is like, there are people who are fans of music, they never become musicians or musicians that become like studio musicians or classical musicians. They don't really write their own music. Um, what made you feel that you wanted to write your own music? Um, well, me, I, when I first started music, I probably learned a few covers, but from the beginning I was writing, I had never actually had an interest in covers and I still don't. I still just write my own songs. I've, can't tell you the amount of songs I've written since I started playing guitar. Like it's always just been about that. And mm -hmm. I know I think Chris, you're kind of similar, aren't you? Yeah, I wouldn't be any different at all, really. Um, I I do an occasional cover here and there. I did my first cover blah, in ages, a Machine Gun Kelly one that I haven't even put up yet. But um, apart from that, I probably haven't done a cover in five years or something. And the only reason I think I've done it is yeah because of all this coronavirus stuff. So being sort of trapped at that time. <laughs> trying to find some different things to do. But generally, I yeah, just um, always made, made my own music and, and I started, I mean, teaching myself guitar. I was inspired by my big brother for a bit there. And, yeah, just uh, always been making my own stuff, but always with John as well for, for what, I don't know, 12 or 13 years, maybe more. Uh, I can't count. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I've always done that too. I mean, I, I, I was trained to be like a classically trained wind player. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I got into keyboards because, like a clarinet, you can't really write that much on a clarinet. <laughs> <laughs> Not much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can so, try. so it, yeah, you can try. But uh, I kind of used the idea of being a wind player to kind of bring like Coltrane and Davis, Miles Davis type stuff into the way I do my analog synths because I'm a big analog synth guy. And, and I'm like one of these guys, I don't, you know, I understand everybody's on these DAWs, on these digital audio workstations today with all these soft synths and stuff. But like I said, I like I have a punk aesthetic. I like bands like Who's Do, The Clash, you know, Green, Green Day, you know, a lot of a lot of punk aesthetic, you know, Nirvana. Um, and so I felt like if I'm gonna write music, I don't want to be grabbing you know samples and pulling soft sense and using a DAW. I kind of do raw recording of analog and modular sense. 
That's cool. Which it has this kind of punk aesthetic to it. But then okay, you, you want to write your own thing. You know, you want to write your own music. I'm inspired by people when I bring that inspiration in. But yeah, I understand bands that, that I talk to, a lot of bands I talk to, they have that same idea. You know, because I'm, I'm talking to mostly indie musicians mm. that want to have their own voice and their own, uh, you know, aesthetic out there. So that's cool to see you guys doing that. Because there's so many people today are you know, using digital audio workstations, you know, and, and, and soft synths and, you know, samples and clips. And you guys are doing it kind of like old school. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so when did, when did you decide that you like, you had a talent for doing it and you actually wanted to keep on, you know, going and actually form, you know, a band? Is this like, is this not, is this not, not your first band, right? For yeah. you guys, is this or or we've is it? had with me, me and Chris have probably had about four bands together. I've probably had about ten. Uh, I don't think I ever really thought I had a knack for it until recently. I think I just like doing it. I don't think I ever really thought I was that good. And I think I just with with age, I've probably matured and gotten a bit better. At, definitely at singing because like I was never a good singer. I hate watching the old videos of myself, but uh, definitely it's got it's gotten better with time. I think it's only recently. That, especially when we got uh, band coaching by Future Artist Development last year um, when we kind of realised we might have something here with, uh, with our sound and our writing. So I think that's when we actually only started to really build confidence for you last year, I think. Hmm. Yeah, it would only be in the last six months that we probably started to think, hey, this is kind of working um, more than it has in the past. Maybe we should take it a bit more seriously and invest a bit more um, time and money into things. You got a little Amazon delivery. There's <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually an alarm to, to tell me I need to give my cat antibiotics because she just had surgery. She ate a corn cob. Oh. <laughs> I was, oh, no. was going to say, Chris has been breaking a lot of social distancing recently, so I thought he might be able to get. Oh, oh, oh you got somebody coming over for... <laughs> I don't even have a doorbell. Yeah. <laughs> I live in the country. That's There's cool. no one for miles from me. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'm on the lockdown, but I'm in my home studio, so I'm good. Oh, that's yeah, sick. That's all you need. That's yeah. all we've been doing. I've been living my life on my computer, just recording new stuff. Yeah, I've just been like taking my modular synth and taking the CV course in and out, and it's like keep on like, oh, I'll clean slate, start all over again. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, so that's cool that you guys like. You recently, you guys have felt like you're starting to gain traction, so that's really cool to have that. Yeah, uh, happened, and so like you said, your 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 influence like Blink eighty one eighty two, and some of the other bands like maybe dive a little deeper into some of your reference points of what people could maybe hear in your music. Yeah, I mean, I look, I, I'll answer that one mainly because I think I started the sound, and now kind of Chris and um Jordan we're kind of like con they're continuing it from there. But I'm definitely very influenced by Blink eighty two. But another band is an Australian band called Violent Soho, which might as well give a little shout out to there. I'm a really big fan of theirs. Um, definitely, but definitely like all the earlier stuff, you know, from like, you know, some 41 green day that it definitely where the raw punk sound started to get a little bit more pop, but still maintain yeah. that kind of like punk raspy feel about it. So that's definitely what I like. Um, but then again, you know, Chris would bring his own influences too. I don't know if you want to answer any more about that, Chris. Yeah, probably um, Britney Spears. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I don't know. Like for me, 
with uh, with this band, it was actually a bit different to normal. When me and John have been in bands in the past, we've had uh, we've had very um, sort of similar mindsets because we'd been already writing music and working on music, building into those bands. But with this band, I was kind of a bit burnt out, and not keen to really make any more music. I was like, nah, I've had enough of the uh, the music industry and the scene. It's just not working for me. But um, yeah, then John sort of came to me out of uh, out of the blue and said, well, I've got this um, idea for a three-piece. You only need one other member apart from us to be committed, so it's not going to take too much. And, um, you know, we should be able to pull some stuff together. And he, he already had a few songs written and he sent me one of them and I was like, holy crap, that's actually really bloody good. So um, I was like, yeah, I'll be part of the band then, I'll give it a go. And that's sort of, so for, for this first EP, a lot of the stuff was already in John's head and he had all these ideas and these concepts. But in saying that, John is influenced by a lot of the same bands as me. So you would have your, you know, your Blink-182s, your, uh, your Green Day, your, or your um, punk rock, and then some light elements of pop punk in there too. Uh, so I, I think... I would probably write in a similar way and actually we are writing some stuff together at the moment that, um, you know, that's taking some more of my influence and I'm probably a little bit heavier on the, the pop punk side than John. Like he would fall back to more of the punk rock, but myself, yeah, a bit of a bit more pop punk. So my sound would be drawn more from mid 2000s to uh, probably early 2010s. Um, pop punk whereas John's is probably early 2000s and back in the punk rock so you know we're both still similar sort of eras and genres but yeah a little bit of variation in there that's interesting so your your name actually from your biography comes from like the Jurassic Park <laughs> franchise right <laughs> that's interesting yeah what made you what made you guys what made you guys do that? uh one day someone said Jurassic Park and I thought I heard Jurassic Park and the rest is history. I oh. literally just thought, oh, my God, that sounds really cool. And I'm, I'm, that's my favorite movie. And I have been a massive fan of dinosaurs since I was a kid. So I just said to the guys, let's just call it Jurassic Park. And it's, it's been probably our best decision so far because everyone loves it. And it rolls off the tongue. And probably like our, the first time we got played on the radio, we got a shout out from, um, from uh, Josh Muriel from Short Fast Loud. You know, he had a bit of a laugh at the... Um, their band name and yeah he, he was a big big fan of that name so we're, we're, we're glad we went with it yeah but it, it has yeah, no meaning whatsoever <laughs> yeah yeah some band names don't mean anything <laughs> yeah yeah it's interesting though but it's cool um so like you you guys um you had been touring before the whole thing happened or you haven't really toured with this with this um oh uh, you know what me and chris have never toured and we were going to but then corona happened so <laughs> um right, mind you we've played we've played some ripper gigs before we've supported bands like um anti-skeptic we were a big australian band back in the day and then uh red jumpsuit apparatus hawthorne Heights. so we've played the gigs we just haven't traveled beyond victoria for it and we were going to but probably not for the foreseeable yeah. future but that's okay so you guys yeah yeah have you guys thought of um uh, the way in social media, like the Facebook lives and, uh, you know, using, using Twitch to actually do maybe from like a home studio, like maybe unplugged or a small session like that, if you thought about that. Yeah, so we're looking into um, the, the live part of it. Um, I, I suppose yeah, the tough one is, you know, since we are a band, it's a bit hard to, especially with a, 
Australian internet speeds all do it at once. So what we've been doing is just doing individually. So, uh, you know, I've, I, I did one the other day where I just um, did an acoustic version of one of our harder songs, which uh, did pretty well. But we are, we're not super worried because we have always been really active on social media. I work in video production, so I'm always editing things. So even recently, we had a video go viral where it's funny we're talking about coronavirus and Green Day and all that stuff because we did a cover of wake me up when september ends by green day except called it uh wake me up when corona ends and we kind of replaced all the lyrics with a bit more of a comical outlook on it edited something in there yeah, i think fifty thousand views later it did pretty well that's cool so it's good that you're already like familiar with social media some bands you know they're not in that situation yeah. they i've talked some you know bands that were like live acts and they kind of lived on the road uh, and then they got to reconfigure and figure out how. To yeah, yeah, exactly. It's uh, okay. I guess we're we're lucky in that way. Um, that we can we can still be active in this time in a way. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So when we get into the genre, we've been talking. You're you're kind of like a post punk, pop punk. But what, how else would you describe somebody saying what genres are your your band covers? Uh, would you go deeper than that, or is that pretty much the description of your? If you, if you really wanted to get an idea of our sound, um, I know we've said Blink White Two a lot, but there's a particular album by Blink White Two that no one has ever really tried to emulate, and that's when they went through this darker pop punk sound, which was slowly verging onto emo, but it had all these really strange mm-hmm. elements, um, almost gothic in a way, where they did that for one album and then they broke up. So it never really went anywhere. And I've always loved that album. I think one day I played a cup blink cover gig and I had to look, I learned some of those songs. I'm like, Oh wow. I actually love this kind of playing. And when no one actually does it, it's hard to explain. It's, it's the, it's yeah. kind of like yeah. guitar played entirely with octave chords where there's always an open note playing to give it this drone. Um, Oh, drone, drone rock. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, I get that. So it's, it's a bit of a mix of that, but yeah, still having all those pop and punk elements in there. So if you listen to the self-titled album by Blink White 2, you'll start to get an idea of my direction for it. That's interesting, because I used to be in the, um, you know, like uh, Echo and the Bunny Man, and they used to do some kind of drone stuff, and um, it was a little interesting. And then other bands, like uh, like one of the first like post punk bands was like Joy Division. And yeah, Joy Division's a big like inspiration. Yeah, they just had this kind of punk aesthetic, even though they started to use synths, and they started to be like the beginning of that new wave sound in like '79. Kind of starts with a band like Joy oh, Division, yeah. and they became New Order. Yeah, you know, and then you know. Depeche Mode was kind of inspired by them, but the kind of the darker type of um, you know synth wave, new wave, new romantic, I've always been attracted to, and they always had kind of open droning, you know, lines in those type of bands that were kind of interesting. Mm. So I I kind of get, get where you're going. Um, so so when you um, record, do you go to a studio? Or you do a home studio? You use the DAW? How do you guys record? Um, it's kind of kind of varied lately hasn't it john so typically actually we started our very first recordings we started from home so my my mum actually had this thing while we were teenagers called a timberland and it's like this small two channel interface sort of like a built-in computer with reaper hooked up to it and we did our very first recordings 
through that from home and we uploaded that to like a uh, it's called triple j unearthed in australia it's like a local um uh, sort of promote your own band sort of avenue. You put things up on there and you can share it right across social media. So we had that um, going from when we first started essentially 12, 13 years ago. And we then took out, started taking ourselves a little bit more seriously as the projects um, went on and started moving into the, the the recording studio side of things. And we've been across multiple studios with multiple projects, but We've kind of gone full circle now, where we're back to uh, recording from home again with the, have the, uh, the with the COVID. So, and funnily enough, I've still got this little two channel uh, interface that I'm recording with from home to, and it's still got this old version of Reaper that I'm running. And I sent some stuff to John in the last couple of days just to have a play around with. So, yeah, it's just kind of gone full circle lately. That's interesting. So you're still using kind of an old school method. Uh, to record, you're not using like Pro Tools or any of that stuff, or Ableton yeah. Live, um, FL Studio, using an older method, which is still, you know, any method works. I mean, I, I started on a Tascam four track cassette machine. That's yeah. Record, <laughs> recording, that like taking like uh, Yamaha DX7s and a Roland D50s directly by the quarter inch line into a Tascam uh, four tracker. Uh, and then, you know, t- taking that. And then there, from there, I went to like a Zoom R24, which is a digital recorder, but it's not a yeah. DAW. It's a hardware Japanese yeah, I know recorder. That. Yeah. And that I actually use that rather than a DAW because I like to capture analog sense. And I like to just kind of record stream of consciousness, kind of in this, like, just punch in, punch out. Don't do all this auto correction or on the grid. I just kind of do it by. Playing. Nice. And, and just trapping awesome. and and it creates a different sound you know if you can the thing i think what's too uh one of the things i noticed about some of the people with the with the modern dogs it, it sounds perfect maybe it sounds too perfect it sounds too antiseptic it's like really clean but it doesn't have character mm. uh, in some cases you know it's just it's just so perfect and the beats are so tight but it doesn't have you know the variation that i grew up in the 70s listening to you know uh, you know Hendrix and and the Doors and the Allman Brothers and you know Eric Clapton and and all these like you know rock gods and stuff, but it doesn't have that kind of sound when you record that way. You kind of lose uh, the little uh, happy accidents or the, you know time yep. changes or being off key. Sometimes that stuff is brings character. That's very pop. <laughs> and if you clean, you, yeah, if you clean it up, then you kind of lose all that. So what, what, you guys being a punk type of band, what do you think about what, what I'm yeah. saying? Is that kind of why I, like I agree. I, I like a, I, I like what you're saying a lot. I think we're, we definitely, while I like that, I think we definitely have to adapt to what the industry expects in Australia right now, which is definitely sometimes a bit of over-editing. That being said, like we've definitely been coaxed a lot recently to kind of use DI guitars and just kind of – um use all those fake sounds afterwards, which is I've never been a fan of. I've always liked micing up an amp, but it's weird because every, everything yeah. in Australia seems to be moving to what's easy and what's easy is plug in the guitar and just record with a, a fake sound kind of thing. So definitely that's what we kind of have to do now that we're home kind of thing. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I'm aching to actually just kind of get into a studio once we've got the money one day and actually um, record proper amps because that's to me is the best part about punk and how raw it is so 
But you guys like going through what type of amps do you like to use when you go to a studio? Do you like Orange or Marshall or do you I I just love using my Fender DeVille, to be honest. It's actually more of a blues amp. Okay. But it's okay. it's Oh cool. Yeah, you like a blues oh, amp interesting. Some guys I've heard. Yeah, I, oh, I like what yeah. this this amp is great for um using pretty much any distortion pedal you want and it just it just sounds you can just get a great sound out of it basically and it's just kind of crisp. I like a crisp guitar sound. Um so that's definitely I'd I like to take that everywhere. But I do like the sound of a Mesa Boogie as well. Um Oh yeah, but uh I don't have one <laughs> because I can't afford that. Well you but when you get to yeah. see you try to Exactly, and yeah, that's definitely something to look look into in the future. But uh, yeah, definitely. What we what we also try to do is we try and work with producers who have a bit of a name for themselves. Recently, we recorded with a guy called Nick uh, Shogren, who's in a band called Thornhill, which are doing pretty well in Australia right now. Um, so I guess we we look more towards that too because we all we all we're always thinking from a marketing point of view too, really. So uh, it's definitely good yeah, to have yeah. a bit of a name attached. Um, but uh, what we're doing right now is recording ourselves getting a bit better at that because definitely in the future it'd be great to just do it ourselves really oh yeah okay i mean the, i i love using the different you know recording systems i use i mean i've been using zooms mm. for a while i was thinking of moving up to maybe a task down 24 getting a bigger board um even like a behringer wing or something but um yeah there's a lot of cool boards out there that you can get and there's even some analog boards now, and since I have a lot of analog since it's kind of like a situation with a guitar player. If you're using like Moogs and Profits, you really don't want to get the compression you get mm. in the DAW. Um, you want to kind of capture the synth because they're kind of like they're handmade and they're like yeah. guitars. You know, Moogs from different different years, like a 74 Moog versus a, a 79 Moog or a 68 Moog, they all sound yeah. different. You like a guitar. And so when you capture, if you put them into a system and make something antiseptic, it kind of takes away that. And you're like, well, I don't want to do that. I mean, a lot of times you, I, I know guys that record on like old reel-to-reels with their Moog, you know, mini Moogs and Profit Fives and stuff because it actually captures yeah. it better uh, if you record on, on tape. So I've been moving toward that will be cool. tape uh, just because. Yeah, and then even, even like synthesis, we use, we use pedals. We use guitar pedals. Uh, on our synths to kind of add crunch to them. So we go and use digital delay pedals and phasers and all kinds of stuff. So what kind of pedals do you like as a guitar player? Do you, do you want to give up? Your <laughs> <software>? <laughs> um, I I have a really cheap pedal actually, but it's pretty cool. It's called a Joyo. It was, it, it cost me about like, oh, well, second hand, 50 bucks. And it just, it sounds really cool. I don't know. But, uh, and then I've just got a, um, a blues driver. So that's again, it's it's another blues sound, but I guess look a lot of a yeah, lot of um yeah. I guess I was drawn to that because a lot of um punk now is probably a bit more influenced on the metal side of things. So it's really kind of like really crunchy, like almost tube screamer type sounds. Mm-hmm. Whereas I like it a bit more vintage in a way, um, and it's just kind of sounds mm-hmm. a bit more natural and less fuzzy. And I I like to hear yeah. the notes playing in the guitar. So look, I, I'm still getting better at this. Like I'm, like I said, we haven't been very serious about it for that long. So and I'm I'm still getting better at it. Like no, none of us are trained at all. We've never had lessons in anything. Mm-hmm. So, but 
I'm probably only in the last few years starting to get a real ear for like the sound I want. So the sound we have in a year might not even be it yet. You know what I mean? So that's interesting. I, I had a guitar player I was working with and he had a, a Fender Strat mm-hmm. and he had a Les Paul. And he always used the Strat when he wanted to be more precise and he actually wanted to hear like the details of his chords. Um, because like Les Paul, like you can go real crunched out, but you don't mm. have to be as precise on it. Cause it just like, it sounds great no matter what you do, but on the Fender, you, it'll pick up your mistakes. Um, so you like the Fender Strat and the Telecaster, what I, what I found when I was working with guys with those is they, you had to be like a lot more precise. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And it actually would, yeah, it would, it would benefit you in the, if you want to hear those chords ring out, like, like you want something that sound like the Beatles, or you want it to sound like a little bit like a Rickenbacker, like a 12 string or something. The Fender was like better at being more precise and deep in detail or detail oriented on the individual notes yeah. and chords. Where if you wanted to crunch out the Les Paul was like that was like the the power power tool. <laughs> so what kind of guitars do you guys have? Yeah, I've got a I just uh, a Mixintelli and a and an old guitar called a Schecter, which doesn't have strings on it, but that's more a metal guitar. But uh, yeah, I've got, gonna say? I've got a just a Fender Precision bass, pretty pretty standard um bass and then uh, i got a, a backup as a bc rich as well i actually prefer some of the tones that i get out of the bc rich but um the yeah the thing's starting to to fade away a little bit and some of the electronics are fuzzing too much so i don't use that one too often um yeah oh so you got yeah fix the pickup yeah that's right or something it's like good, good. um yeah so the on your bass do you actually use uh pedals? yeah to expand i've got time. a boss gt6b it's called so i use that but mainly I, I use that for like one preset and then i'll just use it for a tuner i might add a bit bit of compression at times and um and then i, I run that live usually through a pv head and a behringer cab um which is got kind of a different setup i got there was this old uh punk band i would call them they were like Aussie punk in the late nineties, early two thousands called wasted. And it's actually their old amp. So it's, it's over 20 year old, this amp, this setup. And Vintage. I just plug my gear in through that. Well, that's interesting. That's cool. Yeah. It's always interesting to hear what, how bands are set up. You know, some bands have very elaborate like setups. Like if you, <laughs> if you ever seen a documentary on the edge, I mean, he played real simple, chord arrangements but he runs through like this massive rack of uh you know sound yeah. gear you know he had the gigantic rack that has all these massive amount of effects and he would just play very simple rhythms and then he gets this like unique sound by they playing very simple patterns but he's it the, the what what the secret um. sauce is all these effects that were coming they're hitting his sound that would make that kind of YouTube sound, which is interesting. Cause he kind of just came out of yeah, his yeah. own sound. Cause he wasn't a guy that was like technically trained to play. And I always find it very interesting to talk to the, you know, artists that are kind of self-taught cause they tend to come up with new ways of approaching their instrument, which is uh, always interesting to hear the sound that comes out of people that, that come that way or just passionate about what they want to do. And then they come up with like a unique sound. Which you find in yeah. the world a lot, you know. It's it's I like. What... 
like talking to Andy Bands because they seem to be pushing things forward, which is why. Yeah, I yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're we're pretty simple live. Like I like to keep it simple. That's probably that punk aesthetic. I'm literally live. It's just distortion pedal, a uh, flanger pedal, and a tuner. That's all I got. Yeah, well, getting back to the basics, you know, a lot of bands, you know, it's it's cool to have like a clean sound and not overly produced. You know, it's good to yeah. have the kind of honesty. That's what I like about the punk punk aesthetic is like there's this honesty about it and what you're doing. Uh, you kind of feel that people are, are the passion and the music. And I think that's why people got drawn to Kurt Cobain after the whole like new wave and heavy metal era. People wanted to see, you know, grunge kind of brought yeah. back the honesty in music when you had Green Day and Nirvana and Pearl Jams of the world they kind of like okay we we get rid of the pretense of like the heavy metal mm. bands like Motley Crue and Rat and all that that's not bad but people wanted something that was like coming from the heart that was coming like honest and like Eddie and, and Kurt and you know, Green Day they, they felt like this was coming from like a deeper place it's not just some like uh, manufactured kind of you know yeah image which you felt like it was. I honest. agree. Is that what appeals to you about punk? That you like that rather than the heavy metal? Can you? I mean, as a guitar player, you can go into metal. You can go into heavy metal. Oh uh, yeah, I do I, that kind of thing. I used to or, or you can, play like yeah. crazy shreddy heavy metal stuff, and after a while, I'm like, oh, I'm bored. <laughs> I believe it or not, I got bored of playing that kind of things that guitar guitarists don't usually get bored of playing and I just started just playing chords and things I could mm-hmm. easily sing to. I'm just like, oh, this is actually more more fun and it feels more real and mm-hmm. it, I can feel like I can express myself more than just kind of like being that guy who just stands there just trying to impress with his instrument really. I, I'm more about the storytelling kind of aspect of it and I think the best way to do it is to keep it simple, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. I think singer-songwriters, like, I've always been a big fan of guys like Dylan, you know, Connor Oberst mm. and Springsteen. And, you know, it, it's always, it, those guys have never been about, like, showboating. You know, they don't, mm. it, it's about the song. Hey, uh... You know what I mean? Like, in heavy metal, it's, like, it's kind of about, like, being classically trained to be able to do those, all, you know, the runs. And you're kind of like Eddie Van Halen or you're, like, the great, you know, uh, you know, all these great, like, lead guitar players, um, but it's kind of like a, like a, yeah, yeah, like an ego thing versus like, uh, showing like that you're like the, you, you're the best guitar player ever, you know, and you're just, okay, that's cool. But, mm-hmm. you know, what, where's the song? You know, and it's like, I think, I think punk kind of brings it back to like songwriting and, and just, uh, freeing yourself up to, to, you know, express yourself. So I think that, Instead of really trying to showboat, which I think, you know, that's probably yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, cool. <laughs> you mentioned um, Connor Oberst. So, I just wondered if you, if you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously from Bright Eyes, I, I'm a bit of a Bright Eyes fan myself, but I wondered if you've heard his stuff with Phoebe Bridges and Better Better Oblivion. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bolivian society. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's cool, cool, man. I, I was actually talking to John about Phoebe um, just in the last twenty-four hours. Um, she's coming over with a band called The National, and they they were they were going to do this tour, but it got cancelled because of the coronavirus. So then it got postponed, and I had these four hundred dollar tickets that I uh, <laughs> bought on bought on a bootleg website, and I, I I couldn't go to the show anymore because it was cancelled. But I couldn't redeem my tickets for the new show because they weren't in my name. So I've then 
gone and had to rebuy a ticket to go to this show. So I've spent like 550 bucks just to see Phoebe and she's only the support act. So I was, I just sort of tweaked when you mentioned Connor before. Yeah. Yeah. I love bright eyes because they had that kind of, you know, he was always, you know, kind of, he kind of, you know, built up as a new age Dylan, but he's a little bit more than that. He's all over the map. He has like synth wave stuff. He's got like, you know, jam band, Sounds like a little like Dylan. Sounds like you know New Age stuff, and his lyric content is really cool. And he's willing to go and stretch himself and do all kinds of interesting things. You know, um, I, I just what he did with that Oblivion Society. I, I, that's really great stuff. I, I like any guy. You know, I, I'm cross genre. I listen yeah. to Johnny Cash. I listen to Sun Ra. I listen to Led Zepp and Jimi Hendrix. I'm all over the map. Um, I mean, I listen to like you know uh, Tyler mm-hmm. the Creator. You know, I, I, anybody that does something really interesting, I, I think it's, in, you know, I, I'll get into it. It doesn't really matter what genre it is. But, yeah, it's just interesting to see, you know, what people are doing with music. Because some people say, oh, you know, the album's dead. But then you go listen to something like Tyler's Igor, well, that's an album. You know, it, it's, it's actually mm. a concept album. And so, yeah, in some ways, like, the album might be dead in some parts of the music world but in some you know in hip-hop it seems like the album format is still valid there's a lot of artists that do concepts so what, what's your opinion about like albums versus singles and eps are you guys kind of album oriented or song yeah. single oriented? i am How do definitely 100 album orientated i've never even liked singles but we're, we're definitely quite limited uh considering we don't have funding behind us to uh EPs, I think, and we've. It's also kind of the world's changing a lot. And I think EPs are more, especially for indie bands, they're more a thing because of the attention span of the modern modern day person. So definitely, I think people definitely say less is more. But I'd love to get the point of an album. But I think we're probably another EP before there. Um, that I but I have so many songs, and they're all like exactly what you said, like it, uh, I kind of rang a bell for me when you said concept album, because that's exactly what I'm all about. I like it when all the songs match in style, but they also tell a story from start to finish. That's what our current EP does. Um, if you actually really listen to the lyrics, it's kind of, yeah, it kind of goes on a bit of a, tells a bit of a story and each, yeah. 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 yeah, last, world, world, yeah. Right? last world, you start with last world. And then you end, you know, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I guess we'll talk about that. The, the album is, is it's very personal to me, but it, it starts from like probably the darkest time of my life and slowly eases its way into the best, you know, part of my life, which is me, meeting my current partner. Her name's Murphy, so Murphy's Law is about her. So, it's kind of gets it kind of gets nicer and nicer as it goes okay. along, and so it's kind of like starts off grim saying you know last world which makes you think end of the world but it actually just means the world from before so it's, it's basically a, a way of saying you know life goes on and things get better in a way so but uh you know no one would ever know unless i explained it like i did then <laughs> <laughs> so green day's concept albums must have inspired you to oh yeah to go with the album format then because they were always into like yeah i'd love to, i'd love to get through there one day the uh, nine which is songs. Cool but <laughs> yeah well i kind of grew up i grew up yeah. with like tommy you know the, the who did they're the first band to do the rock opera and tommy was like 
and, and I was like, I was like totally enthralled with Tommy. I had it on vinyl. I was listening to it over, over till I wore it out. And then, um, you know, they came out with Quadrophenia, which was like, yeah, like yeah. Mag, Magnus Opus. I mean, like that is one of the greatest concept albums. And the Who, if people re- don't, I don't know if they really, they're like the first punk rockers, really. They weren't like Zep. They weren't like Hendrix. They weren't like Cream. They had like a punk aesthetic. I mean, they were they blew up their instruments. You know, Moon used to take like, like, like powerful fire <laughs> blow up his drum set. <laughs> you know, at at end every gig, and they just had this sound. If you ever seen them live, I mean, they're like one of the loudest bands ever, and they just had this aesthetic that wasn't like a normal yeah. rock outfit. And it, 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 even though they had these concepts, they they approached the stage like everybody was going playing individually mm. different parts and it was very chaotic and the only thing that we kind of kept it together was like pete actually acted pete townsend acted like the rhythm section while moon would just solo through the whole song and to us would solo through the whole song and so you know only like daltry is kind of going off and swinging his microphone but they 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 really don't sound like any other rock band, and they do have this punk aesthetic that always like inspired me. But uh, their concept albums, you know, I started there, and then I got into Floyd concept albums and Pink Floyd. Um, but yeah, I've always been drawn to bands that they that would sit. You know, I I grew up on vinyl, so you had to sit. You know, when you picked up your vinyl, like you didn't just play mm-hmm. one song and walk out the room. You you would just sit. You know, in the room. In the seventies, I grew cool. up in the seventies. You know, <laughs> you'd be in there with your friends, yeah, back some from... weed or something. <laughs> you got listen, you'd, yeah, you listen to the whole thing. You know, we'd sit there and listen to Pink Floyd the whole all the way through. You know, listen to the Doors all the way through. That's, that's yeah, we uh, are yeah. re- really take music for granted now, don't we? I remember I used to be, feel much. I had this m- much more euphoric feeling back when I, not at your level, but back when I just had a disc in a Walkman. And it was just something physical that you held and you had to buy and you owned it. And now it's just everywhere. It's just like in the cloud and it definitely doesn't have that kind of meaning. And it's the same reason we can't really go around doing massive long songs anymore because it's attention spans. Like it's such a different world. I wish, I wish uh, we, we were up and running back in, back in the day where kind of, yeah, it was music had a bit more meaning, but uh even films now these days, it's less meaning to it now. Yeah, yeah, but it... yeah, it's interesting because like, <laughs> so you guys have felt like well, punk tends to have like songs that are under three minutes. Like a lot of your songs are like minutes. Yeah, we've we've just three, written the forty second one. So <laughs> you know, <you're... laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's interesting because like yeah, the the world today is forcing you know a lot of bands to be in yeah. an under three minute world of the song and then everybody's playlisted and so you've got to create like your best effort to you know for your singles um but it's interesting like in my world i'm a progressive electronic you know band they they kind of inspired by bands like yes and pink floyd so i still write like nine minute eight minute ten minute songs and the audience i have is like a lot smaller than 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 what it could be but there are still people that want that and so i kind of cater to the people that want that and it still wants eight bands to do that, but you're, you're only gonna get so big doing that. That's yeah, why yeah. I do the podcast. <laughs> but but yeah, I do what I want to do. Um, but I realized, you know, I started to make some shorter songs. Become like 
But when you're a progressive artist and then you want to do these big concepts, like it's hard to fit something that's really a 10 minute idea into three minutes, you know, it doesn't work. Um, so like we've been thinking a lot of artists I've talked to is like, okay, well I'll take a, a nine minute song and break it up and then make it so you, you, you can like, you know, listen to yeah, individual yeah. parts <laughs> as separate yeah. songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how you can try to trick, you know, get it out there. But um, it's funny that you brought up uh, Green Day before. So you guys thought of- it's funny that you brought up Green Day before with um, mm-hmm. when you were talking about, um, you know, albums that influenced you and concept albums, like, you know, throwing back to your own point in time. But actually, when we mentioned our influences earlier, I think we, I, I might have mentioned Green Day quickly, but something that um, John and I both were in love with from even before we were writing music was Green Day's Warning album. And we sort of went back from there to Nimrod and Dookie and sort of moved along with Green Day. But what was really cool about that is we weren't even writing music there. Um, we didn't even play instruments, but we both had this passion for this band that um, that were just totally new and cool to us. But John's dad loved Green Day and he showed us Green Day. And so from there, we actually started moving into heavier music. And although Green Day probably don't form too much of the basis for our current sound, they definitely shaped our ears early and, and yep. moved us into where we are now so really cool. yeah it's interesting like green day kind of did bring a whole new generation of guys into punk you know i i hear a lot of the bands i talk to um that they're more coming from a punk or uh you know kind of grunge aesthetic always like name check green day where you know by day when you talk punk you always know what sex pistols you know clash you know, uh, people yeah. would say, you know, Joy Division, stuff like that. Um, Bauhaus, you know, the people would, you know, but it's like, it's like, I'm dealing with a whole nother genre. I'm in my 50s. So, like, mm. punk to me is like the Ramones. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, that's kind of where I came from, you know, with the early talking heads when they were actually a punk band because they actually started off being punk. Um, but yeah, CBGBs, that was yeah. kind of like the big spot in New York where all the punk. Yeah, another were. one. Yeah, that's kind of like where I like. Oh, yeah, that's that's like um, Blondie. Yeah, <laughs> I think Blondie was through there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blondie. Yeah, when yeah when she was a yeah. punk band before she became a new wave band. You know, uh, that's the whole thing. But uh, that's always interesting. I've always liked you know bands like I don't know you get the Lou Reed and the Velvets, but the Velvet Underground was always a big big influence for me just because they had this kind of raw sound. Um, I don't know if you ever got into them, but they're very experimental, very raw. And Lou Reed's early stuff is just got kind of got a punk aesthetic, mm-hmm. but he didn't really care. Yeah, you know, he just said whatever he wanted to say, and it has that kind of punk nature to it. Um, so, have you thought about collaborating with artists from other genres, like like hip hop or jazz or you know heavy metal, uh, classical, whatever genre? Well, you had that one mixing genres. Um, I, I think, yeah, John's got some ideas mainly for female vocalists at the moment. So he's got uh, one song that he's uh, got in, in his head. Um, and, yeah, I think we're, we do have someone in mind. They're, they're not currently releasing their own music, but they're, they're working on it and we've heard some of their stuff and it's, um, it's pretty exciting. But, yeah, this, this chick, she does music anywhere from your sort of uh, really heavy sort of industrial metal stuff back to just some um, some mm-hmm. sort of post-hardcore sort of lighter metal sounds. But um, what, what like to bring her into 
our one of our upcoming songs, which is the idea. It's probably going to be a little bit interesting, but we find that her voice might sort of suit our tone. But, yeah, I can't really say too much about what she does in her style of music yet because none of it's launched. But um, in the in the concept stuff that I've heard from her, it's really cool, and she's got this very un- unique and recognizable voice. So. Yeah, well, that's interesting. I always like you know the Velvets had like um, Velvet Underground and Nico, like their first album, they had a female like model, and she had this like kind of drone sound. It was really interesting, and I always liked bands like the Julie and the Hotfield. Um, you know, and she had the Blake Babies. You know, she led that band back in in nineties. Uh, Liz Fair. Uh, you know, if you go back to the Runaways uh, with Joan Jett, Lita Ford, um, it was kind of early female punk band. That that kind of aesthetic is cool. So they they kind of change the nature of your band, make it have like this. Uh, you know, would would it just be features, or would you actually have her be more involved? In your next material, would it be like a lot just of one at this stage? Because definitely, we've quite kind of our mantra right now is that we just want to remain as a three piece and keep it simple. Like people even mentioned, oh, you know, why don't you get another guitarist or why don't you just jump onto vocals or kind of thing? And we're just like, we just want to keep it simple: guitar, bass, drums, vocalist, backing vocalist, and that's it. Just three guys. But that's why we thought it would be nice to explore other sounds anyway, because you never know. Um, and we're we're definitely open to yeah. any genre really jumping in. Really, I think why why we've just kind of chosen her for now is we're definitely we're definitely in with the uh, kind of hardcore and metal scene in uh, Victoria in Melbourne, and so they're kind of we're kind of a bit of a connection between the the pop punk and the hardcore scene, we're, we're kind of in between. We're kind of like this dark pop punk sound. So we fit in with either side. And so it, it, we, de- we definitely find the more people we meet, the more we want to collaborate. So that's where that's come from. Have you thought of doing anything with like keyboards or modular sense or analog? To kind yeah, of like I mean, I, just, I definitely, I definitely that, like the industrial the, sound. The um, so I'm definitely thinking about that for probably not this EP, since this EP we're probably just trying something a bit more pop-ish. Mm-hmm. So considering the current time and uh, climate, but probably after this we're definitely going to try a bit like go back to our roots a bit and a bit more of a darker feel. And I am definitely keen to experiment a little bit more with that one. So I'd imagine there'll be. If you listen to that album um, yeah, that I mentioned before, the self-titled Blink Two album. It was quite industrial influence, and there's a lot of synths and kind of like, um, yeah. That, look, there's a lot of if you, if you just have a listen, you'll see what I mean. Like, there's a um, a lot of songs really experiment with those kind of sounds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been really into like Brian Eno and um, you know a lot of German mm. Berlin industrial synthesis. You know, going back to bands like Kraftwerk and Brian Eno and Bowie. They they tried to push the experimental electronic and, and you know experimental electronic is still out there with the modular sense the Euro racks and mm. you know, Moog's you know profit sense they allow you to do something it's not just melodic not just kind of new wave mm. it's more like Trent Reznor you know it's more like aggressive you can be very aggressive you can have feedback coming out of your synth you can have distorted really yeah, cool. guitar like sounds. 
Um, plus, plus, like you can use the really industrial beats off of like analog drum machines. I got like a Moog analog drum machine that sounds like 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 it sounds like tribal drums. They actually can do very very heavy drums that are not like an 808. It's not like a, a 909. It actually it's an analog machine. It doesn't even have MIDI. It just it just makes these really crazy sounds. And um, you can do stuff with it that you can't do with any kind of digital drum machine. And um, it's part of that whole sound. A lot of that stuff, you know, comes from analog rather than digital. But yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, cool. I'm a big analog guy. <laughs> and I'm a big proponent of, of not going totally digital and samples cool. and stuff. I'm kind of like anti-sample, but... <laughs> so, so with the coronavirus and the crisis... Um, you know, as a band, how, how you guys uh, have adapted because you already have like a social media influence. But in terms of how how are you thinking, like future thinking, what you have to do in this kind um, of new age of social distancing? How you know for bands that that's a really big problem because a lot of what we do in the industry today is like bands yeah. make the money from doing shows. You know, from from you know, getting close to their audience. You know, and and building that audience by being like in clubs so like in this new age we're stuck in this for until they get a cure until they have antivirals until they have a vaccine yeah. we're lucky What's that we're not motivated plan? by the money side of things and we don't i don't think we've ever earned a cent from the gigs we've done <laughs> and if we have we've kind of forgotten <laughs> about it they said hey we're supposed to we're supposed mm-hmm. to pay you come get your money i'm like I can't be bothered. It's fine. We just like playing the gig. So it's like um, we're yeah. perfectly comfortable with yeah, that. Yeah. Any payments, just bonus. Um, what some, One way bands can make money still is obviously merch. And we've gotten to the merch game recently. That's doing pretty well. Um, and there, you can keep that going through social media um, if you're quite savvy with uh, definitely making videos or like, um, you know, uh, or if you're good with Photoshop kind of thing, you can make content. And these days it is like all about content. And that's kind of another one of our mantras too, is like if we just keep on making content um, and just, you know, paint ourselves as, you know, fun, because we are fun. We, we like to have fun. And um, I think people resonate with that a bit. Um, so if we're making content that's uh, got a bit of a positive outlook to it during this time, uh, people kind of like, um, yeah, have a bit of engagement to it. And so if you, if you, if I had advice for people out there is, you know, if you need to make money from music, I'd keep making music during this time and then try and like uh, sell merch maybe. But like, like I said, we're not really, we don't see it as a business in terms of money. We just see it as this kind of business in terms of just getting music out there. So that's our kind of goal. So we feel we can do that still without having to play live shows. That's cool. Okay, I'm a bedroom mm. artist primarily. I, mean, I played in New York and Boston periodically. Nice. I do live yeah. shows. I do a lot of live streaming on Twitch and uh, Facebook Live. And I pretty That's much record awesome. every day. I mean, I record all the time. And I put content out, you know, all the time. I was lucky enough. Oh, that I finally got on a label last year. I got on two labels with, this, with two distribution contracts. And what's really cool this year, I don't know if you guys know, but like SoundCloud artists, that are like in their premiere tier, they finally opened up distribution um, to all the streaming oh, wow. services for anybody that's on the premiere level. Um, and so you, you can get your stuff 
published, you know, through SoundCloud. Um, if you're on their premier monetization, it's not that expensive. And mm. I've been across SoundCloud artist since like 2008. And I was trying to get into their distribution system. And because of the coronavirus, they, in the last two weeks, they suddenly made it available that you can actually, you know, publish on Spotify and iTunes and all this stuff. And it just, they just publish it. And you, you know, and then you end up getting you know, like almost all the royalties. And then they could put you on their playlist. And they've added, a, because of the coronavirus, they've added the donate button nice. on the profile of all the artists. And so now you can actually get donations. Uh, Spotify is getting ready to do that too, because they 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 realize artists are having trouble. So it's interesting. This whole crisis has brought in now donations are now possible for a lot of artists between SoundCloud and Spotify and even iTunes is getting ready to do that. So a lot of companies are even I heard Amazon's getting ready to do it. So there's a lot of um, ability now mm. to actually get new streams coming in. And you know the kind of artist I am, I, you can do sync licensing because I'm a keyboardist, I'm a synthesizer player, so I could do like uh, you know sync licensing, which means I could do little thirty minute things for like video games and commercials and TV um, because you know I can create like strings and whatever I can do any kind of sound. So if I get a pitch that says we need this thirty second thing, I can make money doing that. And uh, nobody yeah. even knows it's the ghost. I just do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know. So, uh, but yeah, there's all kinds of alternative ways of getting out there. Sync licensing is a big thing. And even if you're not like a synth player that can do a jingle or something, sometimes these sync yep. licenses are looking for all. Yeah. So that's another alternative. Not if you want to just make money. There's another way. To yeah. It's it. funny that um, John brought up our band coach earlier. Actually, um, his name's Steve. Uh, we call him coach, but um, he's he was on a podcast recently that I had to listen to in the last 24 hours and they focused a fair bit on this, like uh, the future of music and what it might look like and what artists, are, what type of artists are going to struggle and what type of artists are going to um, come out on top. And um, Steve was ultimately saying that, uh, that, you know, anytime we go through a, uh, a cycle of change or like a post-war or in this case, it's going to be post-corona, uh, how, how, who's going to come out on top? And he's saying in the past, it's been people with money or the entrepreneurs so there's like two, your two, your two variations there, and I suppose for bands like us that don't have money um, but uh, still want to um, push forward with music, uh, it's it's just going to be about adapting and really coming up with the best ideas possible, and like think some something like what we did with that um, that Green Day cover where we did the wake, wake me up when Corona ends, you know, just having the um, the ability to um, get on the same level in in the headspace of where people are at and push out that sort of content. Uh, I think that shows that it's really the people that can um, be malleable or change with the times that are going to push through and, you know, the entrepreneurial mindset really. So um, fortunately we, we're lucky enough to have John, like he says, in video production so he can put together some awesome social media runs for us and he can put together whole video concepts for us to film from home and we've already got a, a fair few ideas going. So really it's just going to be about um, not uh, just becoming stagnant and not letting this situation beat you down. So, yeah, I've been uh, like I've been getting in, uh, a lot of invites. Um, they're out there for indie artists to do like live cast. Um, there's a mm. bunch of um, because all the festivals got canceled, right? <clears throat> there's a bunch of um, organizations trying to put together indie and bedroom artist live streams from their home studios. 
And they're actually setting up like little festival online festivals uh, where bands are able to jump on and yeah. do like a 20 minute set from their own home studio. Uh, and it, it's part of like a, a, a full like festival. They might run like six, eight hours of doing nothing but indie bands playing from their, from their, wherever they're playing from. Um, and a lot of times it's from their home studio or from wherever the garage or the basement. But there's, there's a bunch of these. I've, I've signed up for like three of them um, in the last two weeks and they're, they're going out looking for artists. So that's another way in this kind of Corona thing. And hopefully it'll continue, you know, after the venues open up, but it, it gives, I think that gives a lot of bands yeah. another way to get out there. Um, so there are people who are already thinking out the box. Yeah, I was actually like, watching uh, a, uh, kind of, what was called like a live in your lounge concert with a, a local band called Hands Like Houses. And I, I was just blown away that uh, within about seven days of the country going into lockdown, they'd already uh, put together this whole home concert. And it was like, I don't know where they were, but it was fantastic. They had lighting, they had uh, full um, sound engineering and everything going on. And it was streamed across YouTube and Facebook at the same time. And I just thought, obviously, in their situation, uh, maybe they had the, the sort of the gigging history and the connections and the money behind them. But it's, yeah, it's yeah. pretty interesting that there are going to be bands that don't have that, yeah. that, that are going to have to try and find these avenues. And like you say, these streaming servers that are putting it out to the smaller bands in their own lounge rooms, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, like, not that I'm a big pusher of, like, I'm a, I, I use Roland products, but for a couple of years, I've been using a Roland Go Mixer, which allows me to use my iPhone on a tripod to film from my home studio. And it's not super expensive, and it allows you to use your iPhone and link right to your mixing board and get a really good quality signal, and it's not crazy expensive. Um, so I've been doing that before Corona. I've been doing that for, like, two years. I've been doing Facebook Lives and Twitches and stuff like that. Um and now everybody's doing it, but but it's like that that those tools were out there, but people were you know if you're a live band, it's like well I'm gonna do it, I'm just gonna go to the gig. Um, but now you you can think about you know finding cheaper lighting systems and you know ways to get your sound over the net that give you good quality. And it, it's not it doesn't have to be thousands of dollars. It doesn't have to have be like hundreds of dollars. There there are devices out there that are, if you check it out, that you can get out there relatively cheaply and get your sound and your you know, your vision to, to a wider audience than what you, you can even do in a gig. You know, I've, I've had some online gigs where I've hit 5,000 awesome. people, which is good for me. Uh, if I do a live gig in New York, I might get 300 people like in Fat, Fat Baby in Manhattan and do 5,000 on Facebook Live. So I get actually hit more people doing my live Facebook Live than I do physically going to Manhattan and going to a small club. Uh, though, though, I mean, I, I would say I, I like playing in Manhattan, you know, at that baby when I, I'm like 10 feet away from the audience. You, there's a vibe that you get from playing with getting the audience kind of feeding you back. Uh, they're, they're good vibes and stuff. That's hard to replace on the net, but we'll, we'll just have to. Kind of yeah, until like, so we can get, all, get them all streaming life. themselves onto our laptop and we can see them in return. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And so if somebody breaks a feedback back loop, you know, maybe with like, like like VR or something that where you can like feel the audience and then, or then you get the feedback and it feels that's like it. It's certainly prompting somebody some pretty awesome ideas. Um John seems to have just dropped off. He's sent me a message, so I think he's um he's he's gonna try and reconnect, but but he might not get back on. Yeah. He's done. Okay.
Yeah, we might be getting to the end, but um, so so you guys are already moving toward like social media. You've got ability to do video production. There are other things and like you're talking about merch. Do you guys do your own? Actually, uh, interestingly enough, the um, the artist that did our our first, um, I guess, logo, band logo and promotional sort of piece. Um, her name's Selena Snow and she's a tattooist and she's um, she's she's actually going to help us work on the, the next um, album cover as well. But she we, we started working with her by fluke. She found our music on Instagram or no, she contacted us on Instagram after she found us through um, some national radio that we got played on. And she's a friend of the radio hosts and she messages and was like, oh, your stuff's really cool. Um, really enjoy it. Uh, just wanted to um, just say, hey, and we're like, sweet. And then I, I noticed, like I went on her page and noticed she was a tattooist and I was like, oh, sweet. That's cool. And then um, we, were, we were just trying to come up. How do we, you know, how do we get someone to do our art for, you know, not cost us too much money? And um, yeah, we ended up just getting in touch with her and realizing, you know, she's doing um, graphic art to, to build her tattoos. So why don't we get her to do our, our late, our logo and so she put that together but she's also the same girl that uh is doing her own music too so it sort of links back to that where we get where she's doing the uh heavy industrial metal sound and the post hardcore sort of sounds and i found all of that just by her reaching out to us so really interesting that not only has she done some artwork for us but she's also going to be featuring on one of our upcoming songs which um yeah just very um very interesting to to link all of that up you know like um but someone that just contacted us raw out of nowhere um to to tell us they liked our music has suddenly become uh, an artist for us and also going to be an artist with us you know for a song so it's really interesting yeah it's interesting a lot of, a lot of the you know instagram is the primary source of all my interviews for this program um, most of the artists I interview get in touch with me. Either they, they say they like a podcast I did with a band and they, they give me a thumbs up for the interview I did with a band, like the one I'm doing with you guys. And then I say, oh, you're a band. Would you want to come on? And that's how I, most of the time I get my booking. I don't even have to talk to their agents. I talk to the bands directly. It's all through Instagram because they, they liked something I did or something I posted. And then I yeah, go that's... back and forth and then we, I get them on. And like like you, I actually I, I met an artist that did a record cover for me back in 2017. Uh, Turnabell.com. He does like kind of um, this really black and white uh, um, psychedelic artwork, but it's all black and white. And he um, he did the cover of one of my albums because he he liked what I was doing uh, on the net. And then he was like in in Germany, and I never met him. We just contacted each other through like Skype. And then he ended up doing a bunch of artwork for me for a record cover. And we, we just had this online connection and, uh, you know, we're still in contact and we mostly worked it. We were trying to work on another project, but it's interesting. A lot of a lot of the people I've talked to, like other artists I've actually worked with, it's all through Instagram, which I think is like, seems to be the, the most musician friendly social media platform out there. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, Instagram's, it's been what really cool for us. Like, that? I think 
Instagram is where we're probably generating our most organic following and, and where a lot of our activity is built through. So, you know, you have your, um, you, you can upload your photos and then automatically share them to your other social medias. You can upload your stories and share them across. So I find Instagram actually to be a really great tool as um, not only, you know, a way of contacting people, but also it's a, it's a great sort of um, origin to put your content on, to branch out from too. Um, I, I've, Something I've noticed just in the last few months is from um, making, you know, just general content that we have like a, a bit of a, a band advisor who helps us out with, um, you know, how, how she would recommend we put our content across and, and we do these campaigns with her when we have releases. And, yeah, she she says you got to be really conscious of what you're putting on your social media platforms and that. And it's something that in the past we would just always be joking and always put stupid stuff up. But um, in actually starting to take it a little bit more seriously, we're starting to get serious responses and we've had people reach out to us, say, hey, like your music, uh, do you want to come on our podcast like this or, or do you want to um, do you want to be on our Spotify playlist, this sort of thing? I'm like, hey, that's awesome, you know, just reaching people organically through using tools probably the way they're designed to be used now, but it's something that... Um, yeah, Instagram, I, I always thought was just a photo sharing app and then suddenly it's turned into a very um, core component of what we do as a band. Yeah, well, I like the fact that they um, uh, added the ability to do like 10-minute video, uh, which I've, I've been using to a big effect. And then they've um, they've got integration with uh, multiple platforms. Like, yep. you know, like, like I said, Anchor FM is part of Spotify. And then what happens is we can actually take this, the Spotify version of this podcast can be a highlight on Instagram that automatically, when you click on it, it goes to the Spotify version of the podcast. So when we put publish this, we will make a highlight on our site. And when you click it, it will go right to, pod, right to the Spotify podcast of this program. So it allows you to um, to actually promote it on Instagram, and you don't have to pay for it. I mean, it just it allows you to do a link as a highlight, which is pretty cool. And that's very music musician friendly. You know, even SoundCloud has the ability yeah. to create highlights in Instagram, um, which again is another musician tool. So that's that seems like like they're very musician friendly, and it's been I've been using it for, for a while because of the integration. Uh, it just allows you to do a lot of a lot of promotion it's increased the number of people that listen to our podcast uh and gets me a, bit, a wider audience and allows me to talk to international artists like yourself which you know i just don't talk to u.s artists i talk to you know bands in berlin bands in japan in the netherlands you know is this open yeah it does and world? we we had a lady on instagram contact us from uh, I believe she was in the UK. Alex, Alex plays punk. It's called A A L Y X, and so she 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 was speaking to us through Instagram and, and put our show on. Uh, sorry, our song on her show, and we also you know through these same sort of methods and social media, we hit uh, a um, a a radio show that was broadcast across like five or six different countries, but across Europe, US, Canada, things like that, and it was. It's just crazy that you can reach an international audience from your lounge room, like sitting in front of your computer and just in so many various ways. But yeah, these these social media platforms, I think Instagram might be owned by Facebook or vice versa, but they're, they're kind of shared together. So it, yeah, Instagram is huge and it, it's, yeah, yeah. it's enabled us to branch out in many different ways. 
I'm back. Hey. Okay. Well, you're back, but I guess we're, we're getting ready. Yeah. We're getting ready to close out. We're getting ready to close out. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate you guys being on the show, Jurassic Park. Yeah. We've been talking to you guys for over an hour. It's really cool, and that's one of the cool things about this platform. We don't really care about time limitations by actually having like another appointment. But we will be publishing this tonight. It goes out on Anchor FM and 11 or 10 other platforms, including Spotify, uh, Apple, Google, uh, um, Radio Public, uh, Overcast, many, many more. And like I said, we have a, a highlight integration with Spotify for this podcast that will link on Instagram. And we'll be pushing that out on our all of our social media, including my cool. alter ego, Lansfine <laughs> Electric. Um, page <laughs> um, and, and so we, we will be pushing this out in the next hour and we will include any um, uh, your hyperlinks um, that you gave us uh, on the podcast where we can actually do that and so we, we look forward to um, talking to you guys when you have uh, any additional projects we talked to bands multiple times uh, we've had you know a lot of bands on two three times if they have things to talk about so we'll uh, invite open invitation. If you have uh, another project in 2020 cool. awesome. or 2021, you can come on the show again. So, um, sorry, man, I didn't catch your name at the Thank start because I came in late. I didn't catch your name. <laughs> yeah. My name is, is, is Keith Gittins Jones. That's my, my regular, my legal name. Great. Awesome. My, you know, my hardest name is family. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah, my but... alter ego is Josephine Electric. <laughs> she's, a, she's a creation of a, a synthesizer called a VT4 vocoder from Roland, oh, cool. which I used in real time to do her yeah, female awesome. voice. All right, thanks heaps, Keith. Appreciate it, man. It's been really cool. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Awesome, thanks. All right, catch